0: morning everybody i love that phrase we're not going to focus on it this morning but that phrase that was just read that says the word of god is not bound amen word of god is boundless and it can do amazing things and we're counting on god's word to do amazing things again this morning right right okay i just want to share with you a little story as an illustration yesterday my brother had a birthday party for my nephew my brother lives way out in the country like, I've been there five times, and I still don't know how to get there out in the country. Of course, I don't have a very good sense of direction, but he it is way out there. And I had the pleasure of experiencing for the first time the shooting of a potato gun. Oh, it's fun stuff. And I'm out in the field like an idiot chasing potatoes that are coming down out of the sky. It was really interesting. But during one of the shootings of the potato gun, I was overfeeding the goat. Yes, he is a pet goat. The goat's name is Baby. And baby likes to eat animal crackers. So while I am helping uh, the little children feed the goat, the potato gun goes off. And the goat ran from the potato gun. I mean, he went into his little plastic shelter and would not come out for like five minutes because a spud was shot out of a giant tube. And I stood there and I thought about the message I was going to speak today. And I want to share with you um, the words of a mighty fortress is our God. When we came to that verse that said, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. One little word shall fell him. Amen? May we not be like the pathetic goat that eats animal crackers and runs from a potato gun, which is not even a reasonable weapon. No weapon formed us shall prosper. Amen? The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. God wins the victory. This message this morning is about war. It's called War Zone. And I am prayerful that what God will do is help us as the Church of Jesus Christ to think more rightly about what matters in this life and what doesn't matter and about the reality of the battle that is taking place. And to do so, what I want to do is share with you the context of the book of 2 Timothy. How many in here know that context is all important when you're reading and studying the Word of God? Amen? So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to 2 Timothy, his protege, and as he writes the letter, he is actually doing it around A.D. 65 to 67, He is doing it while he is in his second Roman imprisonment phase. Now, the Apostle Paul had a very difficult life, right? And you know that he was often beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he just kept serving him. Well, Paul is writing 2 Timothy towards the very end of his life. He knows he's about to be executed under Emperor Nero and he is literally in a roman dungeon at the time that he writes this book. It is so bad for him in the dungeon. We know from chapter 4, he tells us that he is getting cold because he asked Timothy to please come to him before winter arrives. And he says to him, "Would you bring my coat to me?" And I just want to make that statement to you because it brings home to, you know, it brings to reality for us just in what dire circumstances he was and what we take for granted, right? He is writing a book of the Bible on which we depend, and he's writing it from a dungeon where he's so cold that he's asking, could somebody please bring me a coat to make it through wintertime? Yet at the same time as he's asking for a coat in the dungeon about to be executed, he's also asking for books and something to write on because he wants to study and proclaim the Word of God. Isn't that beautiful? And so today we have those words preserved for us. That is the context in which Paul is writing to us and asking us to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And there has never been a time on earth more important for the church of Jesus Christ to realize that we are soldiers in a battle. Newsweek magazine Just a week or two ago, this was the lead article on the cover of Newsweek. And last week's Time magazine is an article on heaven. Now, this brings to light for us the battle that we are in. This article is heresy. But many young people, many young Christians, many people would look at this and say, oh, that's pretty neat, Newsweek's talking about Jesus. Forget the church, follow Jesus. The article really isn't even about the church versus Jesus. The article is really about Jesus is not really the Son of God. He's just a good moral example for you to follow. Strip the Bible of the resurrection, the incarnation, the cross. The article actually says the cross itself is not the point. Just follow Jesus as an example of suffering. Now, I've been going over this article with my Ascend class and with my youth group for two weeks because this is the battleground, because the culture is trying to rip apart, the prince of the power of the air is trying to rip apart the fabric of Christianity, and we better wake up and pay attention to what matters. Amen? It's time. Just last week in youth group, as we were going over this article, I've been so proud of the Youth of Norwin Alliance. We've been talking about this article. I've been having great give and take back and forth with the young people. They've been asking great questions, thinking critically. We're learning a lot of stuff. And uh, Rachel Slavka said to me after youth group, we had a little impromptu meeting at the end, and she looked at me and she said, Shelly, she said, wow, there was some spiritual battle going on there in youth group tonight. I said, yes, there was. I said, how did you know? She said, oh, I could just tell. And I just started praying. There are spiritual battles taking place for our souls and the souls of the next generation. And we are trying to sit comfortably and ask God what more he can do for us, how he can make us you know, more prosperous, more comfortable. And that's not what it's about. We're in a battle zone. And we're reading from a book of the Bible where the Apostle Paul is writing to us from a dungeon asking for a coat. And proclaiming to us this message, I want to focus on these two verses. He says to us, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's going to use the analogy of a soldier. Now, he also, in context here, uses two other metaphors. He talks about uh, an athlete all right, And we all know that if you're going to be a serious athlete, that involves serious discipline and putting your body in order, correct? Then he talks about a hard-working farmer. And if you think about the days that Paul lived in without the machinery that we have today, farming today is hard. Can you imagine what farming was like then? It required great sacrifice. But the analogy that I want to focus on is the one that he uses here about us being a soldier for the cause of Jesus Christ. He says, no soldier is concerned about the affairs of everyday life, civilian pursuits. you imagine a soldier out there on the battlefield, you know, wondering if his lawn got mowed two weeks ago? If, if, you know, it's been weed whacked in the front or not? He's not out on the battlefield saying, oh, I wonder if my Nike tennis shoes are getting scuffed up because these are brand new. He's not worried about civilian affairs. He's not caught up in so many things that we get caught up. He's out there fighting for his life. Right? And God has actually called us, this thing called Christianity is a life or death situation. And there's a battle going on. And the enemy is coming against us. And Paul says, it's time for us to share in suffering as a soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't just one setting where Paul uses this. In the book of First Timothy, when he talked to his young protege, he said, wage the good warfare. Paul definitely had a war zone mentality throughout his books. In 2 Corinthians ten three through 4 listen to this. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He's, he was literally saying, Though Shelley Prindle walks around in a body made of bones and, and muscles and skin, though I'm walking around in a fleshly body, I'm not waging a war according to the flesh. But I am waging a war. Isn't that what it says? Do you feel like when you wake up in the morning, are you so in with Jesus Christ that you sense the battle and you know that you are waging a war? Because if we're not cognizant of that, there's something that's not aligned properly. He says we're waging war. The weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They're not of the flesh. But what do they have, Paul said? They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Does that inspire you? We have weapons, and they are not fleshly weapons. It's not artillery. It's not guns. We're not fighting with our flesh, but we have weapons. We have the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. We have prayer. We have intercession. We have the gift of righteousness. We have the fruits of the Spirit. We are fighting a war against the enemy. Paul says, wake up and realize that this is what is happening and that there are weapons involved and that by those weapons you can destroy strongholds. We're watching this happen in the youth group. I'm watching this happen in people's lives as they recognize the enemy has strongholds in our lives, but they can be brought down through the weapons of our warfare. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, very famous passage, we often talk about the, uh, the armor of God, put on the full armor of God, but the verse that precedes that, this is what Paul said. And by the way, when he uses the word wrestle here, in the Greek it literally means to go hand to hand with someone else until the point where you can take your hand and put it on their neck and hold them down. That's what the word for wrestle here means. He says, we do not wrestle... Against flesh and blood. Okay, your battle is not against people. You know, your enemy is not your boss, your enemy is not your spouse, your enemy is not all the people that you're having trouble with. Our enemy is Satan and his power. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Check this out against the cosmic powers of darkness over this present world. What a statement. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Do you realize that right now in the sanctuary and everywhere we go, there is a heavenly battle taking place between God and His forces and the enemy and His forces? So real sometimes it becomes. And Paul says, tune into it. Have a war zone mentality. This is serious stuff. This is life or death. Now the good news about the battle that we are in is that the victory has already been sealed. Amen? The victory has already been won. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 is speaking of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this verse. Listen to what he said about Jesus. In Colossians 2 15, Paul said, And having disarmed the powers and authorities. Now he's talking about spiritual powers and authorities. You see, when Satan fell and took angels with him, we have demonic forces, spiritual powers at work against our soul and against God. And the Bible says in Colossians 2.15 that having disarmed, having taken away their weaponry, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus Christ made a public spectacle of them, having triumphed over them by the cross. Hallelujah! Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He put them to open shame. You say, Shelley, what does that mean? That means he won the victory. He sealed the deal back then. Now I know that it doesn't always feel like that, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to understand something: the only weapon that the, that Satan has against you, the only weapon that he has against me, the Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. Right? The only thing that Satan can come to us with is, God, Shelley is a sinner. She has no right to be right with you. She has no right to be in heaven. She has no right to talk to you, to access your help. Nothing. She's a sinner. And that's what the enemy has. But 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, he as God absorbed the wrath of God against my sin. Do you get that? He became my sin offering. And he took my place and absorbed the wrath of God against me. So Satan can no longer accuse me. Satan can't go to God and say, Shelly doesn't deserve the victory. Shelley doesn't deserve relationship with you, God. Satan can't say that anymore because God can say, yes, she does. Jesus paid for her. So 2,000 years ago, the victory was sealed. I can win the battle through Jesus Christ. Now that we're living in this world and we think to ourselves, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're winning the battle. God for his own sovereign purposes is allowing Satan to continue on for a time, but his fate is sealed. Are you with me? Now, I believe according to 2nd Peter chapter 3 that the reason God under his sovereignty and he is sovereign and working all things for his plan. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 He's working it all for His plan. I believe, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, the reason God allows this world to continue on and allows Satan to continue to do His work to a point is because the Bible says God is not slow in keeping His promise of His return as some understand slowness. But He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? Perish, but everyone to come to Repentance. God allows this things to go on to extend His grace so that more and more people can come to know Him. And if I have to fight the battle for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 more years against the devil so that more people can come to know Jesus Christ, well, that's okay with me. Amen? But the victory has been sealed. And I want to give you a real-life example that can bring this home. D-Day versus V-E-Day. How many of you know about D-Day? June 6, 1944. When under Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Allied forces came together to storm the beaches of Normandy. When we went in with 160,000 troops, came together, stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, we suffered 10,000 casualties. But enough damage was done to turn the tide, Eisenhower said. The tide has been turned. Amen? Enough damage was done to turn the tide, and June 6, 1944, was the beginning of the end of Nazi Germany. The victory was not completed at that point. We didn't see it fully realized, but Germany didn't stand a chance after that day. And finally, a year later, in May of the next year, we had victory in Europe day. And the deed was completely settled. I want to tell you something this morning. D-Day has already happened. 2,000 years ago, Jesus turned the tide and sealed the deal. And Satan's doom was for sure. One day soon, when Jesus comes back, we are going to experience victory in the universe day. Victory in the universe day. He's coming back and that whole thing will come together and Jesus will make all things right. But the victory has already been won. We still suffer some casualties. We still are at war. It is difficult. But I get up every morning and I say, God, I'll fight this battle because I know how the whole thing turns out in the end. And you are the victor. In Psalm chapter 2, which was written a thousand years before Jesus ever came to the earth, God talked about the fact that, that rulers and nations of this world will rise up against God in rebellion and think that they can get away with throwing off his fetters. And God says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, he, he says clearly and unequivocally, but as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Amen? Amen. That is King Jesus. I have set him on Zion, my holy hill. And listen to what he says in verse 12. Every human being better kiss the Son, capital S, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Listen to me. You have to make peace with Jesus Christ. You must kiss the Son. That implies a relationship happens there. Kiss the Son lest He be angry because despite what the devil would try to make people believe, despite the comfort in which we live and we refuse to think about it, Jesus Christ is coming back. His wrath will quickly be kindled against evil and all that evil brings. And what will we be doing when that happens? And one of the problems with that article in Newsweek was that it portrays the fact that Jesus, it said Jesus is apolitical, nonviolent, and teaches all people to do what he did to love and completely accept every other human being. Now, I'm not talking about whether, you know, is Jesus a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent. But as far as is Jesus apolitical, okay, when he came to this world, he said, I'm coming to bring a kingdom, a kingdom. He said, I am a king. That's a pretty political statement, isn't it? I'm setting up a kingdom, he said. My kingdom is not of this world. That's not apolitical. Nonviolent we'll get to in a second. That he loves every human being? Yes. I stood in youth group and we went went about this with the kids. I'm like, is that true? Does Jesus love every human being? Well, you know, they're like, they never know if I'm setting them up or not. So they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, he does, Shelley. I said, does he accept every human being? No, he does not. And I am so tired of us as Christians allowing our kids to believe that Jesus is just a nice moral example of how to be kind. Because he did teach us to love, yes, but God is more than kind. He is holy. Amen? I am so glad he's more than kind and that he's holy and that he's coming back to make a completely right universe. So I'm going to give you the truth of the character of Jesus Christ because if we only read of him in in, in the early stages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and we we only read about him coming to the earth and being born in a manger and dying on the cross and rising from the dead and ascending into heaven and we never read of the next phase, then we're only getting half of who Jesus really is. Amen? Let me ask you guys a question. Is Revelation 19 part of the canon of Scripture? Is it as true as John 3.16? Okay, well, then let's take a good look at the apolitical, nonviolent, kind, all accepting Jesus. I say that tongue in cheek. You ever hear that saying? March comes in like a lamb and goes out like a lion? Jesus Christ came first as a lamb, he's coming back as a lion. All right? Revelation chapter 19, a wonderful portion of Scripture to make sure your children understand. Here is a few things that Revelation 19 says about our Jesus. Number one, he's going to come riding on a white horse. The first time he came, he rode on a donkey, came into Jerusalem. People thought, oh, isn't this nice? The king is here, and they waved palm branches at him. Wait till you see him come back on a white horse. Wearing not a robe, the first time he came, he wore a robe that those who were going to crucify him put on his bloody back. Amen? You read in Revelation 19, He's coming back in a robe, dipped in blood. But this time he's coming. Look at this. The Bible says that Jesus is coming in righteousness to do what? To judge and what? Say it out loud with me. Make war. Apolitical, nonviolent, always kind and accepting of everybody, no matter what Jesus, is coming back to make war. His eyes are going to be like a flame of fire. No more Jesus in the manger, all right? He's coming back with eyes of flame as fire. The Bible says that the armies of heaven are going to be following him. I personally, in my opinion, believe that this means you and I. I believe we have been raptured up out, off of the earth, and we are coming back with Jesus to reclaim the earth as he makes it new. And we are going to be following behind him the armies of heaven with him, and he is going to have, look at this, Out of his mouth is going to come a sharp what? A sword with which to strike down the nations. Who is this talking about? Jesus. Are you with me? I'm the most popular preacher in the world, aren't I? (laughs) I don't care. It doesn't have to do with what we like to hear. It has to do with what is true. Amen? Amen? What is true? This is Jesus. Now, as far as the rest of the story goes in verses 17 to 21, I'm going to ask you to look at that with me. I'm actually going to take out my giant print Bible so I don't have to put my reading glasses off on. See, I'm switching. Regular Bible when you're young. Giant print Bible when you're old. Okay, kids, this is what happens. And I don't carry that while I'm preaching because I get you know, a sore muscle. But anyway, Revelation chapter 19. Now, don't read ahead. Stay with me and go with me as I go verse by verse. It's very interesting. This is God's Word, and here's what it says concerning this battle of Armageddon. Verse 17, John, who was given revelation by God about this whole scene, says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead." Come gather for the great supper of God. Stop. Don't read ahead. Isn't that nice? (laughs) I always love this. I just love it. Isn't that nice? Golden angel in the sunshine calling to all the birds. See, I'm a bird lover. Okay? Calling to all the birds of the sky. Come gather together for the great supper of God. And you're like, wow, I want to go. Now, you're going to be at the the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a different supper. You don't want to be at this one. Okay, listen to this. This is the word of God. So he's telling the birds to come. Why should the birds come? Verse 18, look at this. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse, that's Jesus, and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of Jesus who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. God help us, when Newsweek puts an article out, to talk to our kids about it, to talk to our neighbors about it, and to make sure we interpret it through the lens of the Bible. Amen? Jesus Christ did not come to earth to be a moral example on how to live and suffer. We are dead in our sins. Dead people can't follow anyone. Jesus came to make dead people live. And he did it by being God incarnate. Die on the cross for our sins and rise from the tomb. And come back one day to fight the battle of Armageddon. Hallelujah! As real as the Jesus in the manger is, is the Jesus who we are going to witness slay many people by the sword that comes from his mouth, and they will be eaten by the birds. And that is a Jesus of love. Because I'm going to tell you something. There can be no place where there is no death, crying, mourning, or pain unless sin is eradicated. Should one person who is selfish, like we are now, amen, should one selfish Shelley Prindle exist in the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, the whole plan would be foiled. Because I hurt people. Because I am self-centered. Because sin damns people. Because sin has brought destruction and sickness and separation and nastiness to this world, amen? Jesus is coming back to make it right because he loves us. And for the sake of those who will choose him and all are given the opportunity to choose him, he is going to come back and put down evil once and for all. And he will put down all people who continue to choose to remain on the side of wickedness. So we should kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Amen? This is Jesus. This is serious business. This is true war. Are you with me? And I live my life. The people that know me well, you know I'm not just saying this. I literally, when I walk into youth group on a Wednesday night, I don't picture a bunch of kids wearing all their crazy clothes, their crazy hair. I walk into youth group, and it's like all I see are souls. And I don't think, oh, this is another Wednesday night. Hope we have some fun and games here. No, I look at it and I think, these kids' lives are on the line. All week long they're being taught lies. We better get the truth out there. Amen? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is a war. Now, Paul said, as far as being a soldier goes... Soldiers cannot get entangled in civilian pursuits. In other words, you can't be out on the battlefield in the middle of attack and be worrying about whether you have a hangnail. You know what I mean? You can't be worrying about that stuff. And I believe today, and shake your head if you agree with me, in the church of Jesus Christ at large, we are all caught up in civilian pursuits. Right? And there's lots of people shaking their heads. We are. We are. We are listening to a gospel being preached about prosperity. What can God do for me? How can he make me happier in this life, wealthier in this life? How can I be more comfortable? It's ridiculous. The question is, how can I be a part of fighting this war so that souls are saved for the next life? This life is nothing. It's gone in the twinkling of an eye. Man is but a vapor, and then we disappear. Amen? It's about the next world. Paul says you can't get entangled in civilian pursuits. The word for entangled there in the Greek literally means to be braided or to be woven together. So if you look at the left there, that's a bamboo wall. And bamboo has been woven together to form that wall. And what Paul is essentially saying is, don't weave the fabric of your life equally of things of this world and then try to fit God in too. Because if I were to pull the the horizontal bamboo from that wall and leave the vertical, what would happen? The whole thing would crash. God said, build your life completely on me and I'll provide for that stuff secondarily. Amen? He said, don't get entangled. He knows that you need to have shelter and you need to eat and we need to have clothing, that's true. But he's saying, don't weave your life equally of those things. Now, In other versions of the Bible, civilian pursuits is translated as the affairs of everyday life. And life comes from a Greek root from which we get biology, B-I-O-S. And it means that by which life is sustained, resources, wealth, or goods. Paul said, do not treat those things the way you treat your relationship with God. And Jesus concurred completely In Matthew 6.25, when he talks about not worrying and seeking God's kingdom first, Jesus said in Matthew 6.25, listen to what he said. He said, but I tell you, do not be anxious for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body what you will put on. Okay, now, how many of you have ever heard that scripture before? It's a popular one, right? The next sentence of that verse is what gets me. And I picture Jesus just standing over the church of Jesus Christ in America today and saying this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And I'm going to give you an American paraphrase. I believe Jesus would stand here today and say to us American Christians, is not life more than the American dream. How many of us Christians are living and getting excited about and talking over coffee about and getting worked up about and spending our resources on the stuff that really does not matter? Satan that word for Satan means adversary. The term devil means slanderer, one who casts himself between two in order to separate. Now, Satan has other titles that he has given in the Bible, and I want to show you a few of them. Paul said in Ephesians 2.2 2, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he is called the god of this world the God of this age. And Jesus agrees with Paul because in John 16, 11, Jesus says the devil is the ruler of this world. Now, like I said, under God's sovereignty, he's allowing Satan to kick it around a bit down here. Right? But Satan's fate is already sealed. D-Day has already happened. Victory in the Universe Day is about to come. However, Satan has some power right now. And we need to remember this. When the Bible says he's the prince of the power of the air, the Greek word for air there is literally atmosphere. Now, I'm not saying that this is a true tie-in, but I found it very interesting when I started thinking about the atmosphere and what happens in the atmosphere in our world. The exchange of signals, satellite signals, digital signals, television, radio, the airwaves. We need to think critically about what the world is saying because the prince of the power of the air is the devil. Now, some Christians are involved in marketing and culture stuff, and more should be. But generally speaking, what's coming across your television waves, the advertising business, what you're seeing when you walk through Westmoreland Mall in all the stores, what you're listening to on the radio, what you're reading in those high gloss magazines and all the advertisements, you've got to recenter your brain when you look at that stuff. Because that's coming from the devil. It's coming from the enemy. So many times when I turn on my television, you know, I tell you guys, if I'm watching Andy Griffith reruns, you know, you're watching Andy Griffith reruns, you're seeing these crazy commercials in between. And, and I'm not, I don't mean bad commercials. I'm not I'm saying that they, you know, have nakedness or all. I'm just saying commercials that tell me, Shelly, you need a car that fits your lifestyle. You need a cell phone that does exactly what you want it to do. You need a bigger house. You need more stuff. You need more status. You need more of culture to cater to you. You need entertained more. You need to feel better. You deserve this. You deserve that. Is that what the culture is telling us? So get it all and make it fit to what you want. Listen, you better think when that stuff comes through to your mind because the devil is the God of this age. We've got to take the word of God and weigh everything against it. It's a war zone. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says he is the God of this world. When I went over that verse in my Ascend class about a month ago, we, were, we got to that scripture and I couldn't get past that phrase. I, I kept thinking, the God of this world. And I asked them this question, I'm going to ask you this question. And just think about it for a minute. If I were to poll the average parent in America today, even the average church-going or Christian parent, what do you want for your child? What do you want to provide for your children? And now shake your heads with me as I go along and tell me if you think I'm, I'm right on this. So I don't have kids of my own, but I have two nephews that I've been close to for a very long time, and I'm guilty of the same thing with them, all right? Let me ask you this question. If I were to walk up to the average parent today, even the average parent who attends church, and said, what do you want for your child? Do you all agree that some of the main things they would say are this? I want to provide for my children a nice home. Thank you, Denise. A nice home in a good neighborhood. See? I don't even have to say it. So that they can attend a good school district, I want to make sure that they have decent clothes and a lot of the amenities that the other kids have so that they're not made fun of. Okay. I struggle and I struggle and I struggle to find in the Bible where that is any of the goal of a Christian parent. And I just can't find it. When Noah had his family build an ark, they looked like a bunch of freaks of nature. If Paul had had children and was traveling around getting beaten and put in prisons for Jesus' sake, you know, if he would have had children he would have said, I'm not going to do this because I don't want my kids to have to see their father suffer for Jesus. I, I look in the Bible and I try to... I've been researching lately the American dream because we in America have kind of put Christian politics and the American dream together. But I just can't read anything about the American dream in here. I, I can't find it. The only thing I can find is the new heaven and new earth dream. It's the only thing I find. And I thought to myself, I thought... Quite opposite what we're trying to do for our kids, trying to get them to feel comfortable in the world, that's what we're trying to do, so that they have the same stuff everybody else has. They look about the same, do about the same thing, so that they're comfortable, they don't feel off-kilder. We're trying to make them feel comfortable in this culture. When quite opposite that, let me give you an example. If your child were to come home from school, okay, and say, Mommy, it was a rough day today, In English class I took my Bible to English class I had it out on my desk And I got into an argument With some of the kids at school They think I'm weird Or if your child came home and said Dad, I don't know who I'm going to sit with At lunch tomorrow I prayed over my lunch today Got into a conversation about God And the kids I usually sit with kicked me out You know what you ought to do if that happens? You ought to Put on your somber face, empathize with your child, talk them through it. Then you ought to go up to your bedroom, shut the door, and start jumping up and down saying, Thank you, Jesus! My child has been rejected for the name of Christ. Amen? But we don't do that. We're trying to get our kids to fit into the culture and always feel happy and comfortable. Listen, when I'm living like I should for Jesus, I don't really feel like I fit in. And that's about the way that it should be. Amen? Because my Bible says in Matthew, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I don't want the next generation to be able to say, blessed are those who live just like the world lives and always feel comfortable because theirs is the kingdom of this world. Is that what you want? This world? This world stinks. It's waiting for Jesus to make it right again. And the question is, are we fighting the war? Is our mentality the mentality that Paul had that he told us that we should have? fighting with weapons that are spiritual into the Word of God, praying and seeking His face, talking to the next generation about Jesus at every opportunity, allowing this world to be nothing more than a marker pointing to the next world that we will have when we live for righteousness. Amen? Bow your heads with me, please. Father, we come before you this morning, and um, I thank you for your word. It's not always easy to think about and to study the whole truth of God, but it is necessary. And Lord, you have convicted my heart, and you've been working in my heart as I've prepared this message. And my prayer is that you would be working in all of our hearts. Because we all need to realign ourselves with your truth. I thank you, Jesus, that D Day has already occurred. I praise you, Jesus, that 2,000 years ago you turned the tide. And it was the beginning of the end for Satan and all the powers of darkness. I thank you that victory in the universe day is going to come as sure as anything. And as you've said, Lord, we need to kiss the sun. We need to be right with Jesus. And so this morning, as you sit there and ponder what God has said in his word, the whole truth as we ponder this very serious war zone mentality, as we ponder thinking critically about what the world tells us versus what the Bible tells us, I just want you to ask God if there is anything that He wants to work in your heart about for your sake, for the sake of your children, for the sake of the people who watch you live every day. We've been lulled into some kind of sleep, dear God. And we need to be awakened to your truth. It's exciting. It is invigorating. We need to walk in it. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want to give you the opportunity to say, God, I want to fight this battle with you because I know you're the victor. I want to be on your side. I want to live like you've called me to live and have the excitement of knowing victory in the universe day is coming and I will be a part because I have stayed on your side. I have fought the good fight. Hallelujah. Work in our hearts, Lord, we pray. anyone in this sanctuary this morning that would want to raise their hand to God and say yes Lord I want to make a commitment this morning to be a part of the battle to be on your side would you raise your hand and say yes God I'd like to do it this morning I want it to be a change point amen thank you anybody else make a commitment to God amen thank you Jesus is so pleased that people this morning would kiss the sun the one who has won the battle it's what life is all about is there anyone else who'd raise their hand and say I want to make a commitment this morning to fight the battle on Jesus' side amen, amen, To come against the culture anyone else hallelujah, thank you it's wonderful, to God this is the most pleasing thing in the world to see your hand be raised to stand and say I want to be on your side Jesus to live like you've called me anybody else amen thank you and so father for those who have raised their hands and for those of us in our hearts who are doing so we ask in jesus name you make us remember this day april 22nd 2012 when we made a commitment to share in suffering as a good soldier of jesus christ to know father that it's not about this life But it's about victory in the universe day. And we want to be there. And we praise you and thank you that you paid the price so that we could be. Help us to fight the battle as you've called us, Lord. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.